0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am joined by my co-host, as always, the great Dave Martin Swagger.
1: Dave, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Just being great, as always. How are you doing? <laughs> I heard your uh, gold hand actually grew back into a regular hand. Yo, that was actually a promo shot, not in the real episode. Yeah. You
0: hear that? Crazy. I I, I did People hear that. going for the
1: digs. People
0: are. They're up in arms about Game of Thrones again, and we're going to be talking about that as well as a couple albums, a couple movies, and the Veep series finale, which is kind of crazy that Veep is over, and I feel like it still is somehow underappreciated, even though it's won basically an Emmy every year it's been out. Uh, I don't think this year will be any different, kind of, I guess, stepping on our review just a little bit. So we got a lot to talk about before we get into it. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and you can listen to us anyway that you want to. And give us a five-star rating and review if you have a, a few seconds. I do, do, do that on iTunes because it really helps us out, uh, helps more people find us, and that's what we're looking for. It's free. Yeah, it's free. It costs you like five seconds of your time. <laughs> Dave, Ari Lennox. Yeah. Shea Butta Baby. No expectations going into this one for me. And I was really, really excited at as this album wrapped up because I felt like this takes a lot of elements of a lot of different artists that we've enjoyed talking about especially newer artists we've enjoyed talking about like georgia smith comes mm. to mind when talking about her and i feel like this blends it in a really succinct and really refined way that I was incredibly impressed by i'm wondering before we start talking about sp- specifics of the album what were your expectations going in and how did you
1: feel after you wrapped up the album just two eps and a mixtape i hadn't actually heard those but i had heard some of her features on the dreamville revenge of the dreamers project the group label project and i think she might have been featured on a cole record recently i don't remember but for someone who'd been signed to dreamville since the end of 2015 been a while to hear anything big and like this is the debut album but she's a 28-year-old R&B singer. That sounds like a late start, given the talent, the cosigns. But yeah, I didn't really have any expectations because I didn't really have a strong frame of reference. But I, too, was very impressed with this. And as you suggested, I think it does continue the, I think I saw this on Twitter, the the black 20-something-year-old woman figuring her shit out, (laughs) a la SZA and Georgia and a little bit LMI, I suppose, Mm -hmm. as well what I liked about it the most was that just it kind of like has like an old school vibe in terms of, as you said, like the sickness as an R&B record, but it's a very like contemporary lyrical content in terms of like modern dating and ups and downs of that. So yeah, I liked it a lot. But what what did you uh, take away most from it? Because again, you were didn't have any expectations like me.
0: Yeah, you pointed out, I think, really smartly that there's this this similarity between these uh, these kind of artists, you know, these twenty something uh, black females figuring shit out. But what she does is she infuses like '90s hip hop sounds into this in a way that I think is really intriguing. You know, a, a song like uh, trying to see my notes here, a song like Facetime, I thought actually captures that that feeling very well. Just kind of like the beats in that feel very throwbackish, but also kind of keeping. This more modern R&B soul sound that is so popular right now. I also thought the features on this, like J.I.D., I thought, came in and crushed it. Uh, Cole was good as always. I I don't think he's had a bad guest verse in a long time at this point. So I think overall the project's just very solid. The production on this is, is... upper echelon of course dreamville's you know great label yeah i mean just not really a bad thing to say about it anything that that you would take away from this album that maybe wouldn't be so
1: great no i don't think so i think ultimately it flows pretty well as we said and i don't really have a whole lot to say in in its favor i just think it, you know it's really silky smooth hard to say much more about it yeah i mean you mentioned the the beat for uh facetime that's actually a cold beat you know, he doesn't produce all the time anymore, but he's always been a very underrated producer, and he does produce under his own name, so that's cool to see him offer that up to uh, one of his artists. Uh, how nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think this is going to make some waves in R&B circles. I mean, shit. Remember, Her was nominated for Album of the Fucking Year. If Her can get so big, I mean, I've, I hope Ari Lennox can get a lot bigger, because this is a lot much more impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, and
0: Her won a Grammy for, what was it, Best New Artist?
1: Or best R and B album was it? It was something. Ur- like that. Ur- Urban Contemporary. One of those weird categories. It wasn't Best New Artist, but yeah. Yeah, she did win something. Shit. I think it was Best R and B actually, now I'm saying it out loud, but
0: yeah, I-, I definitely agree that Ari Lennox, there's more here than anything we listened to with any of those albums last year, at least related to her. I, I also wanna give a shout out to the song Whip Cream, which I thought was really, really good. One of the standouts to me on the album, and obviously we've already added broke J I D. On to our Nostalgia Best of 2019 playlist. Search that on Spotify and give us that follow and share it with all your friends so you can stay up to date on all the music we're talking about and the best music of the year. Oh, yeah. Any last thoughts
1: before we move on to your guy, Logic? No, I also like Chicago Boy, I believe, the first yeah. track overall. Very impressed. Nice uh, coming out party for sure. It's got a lot of love over the weekend, so I feel confident that it'll uh, continue to make news. And you are correct. Her did win Best R&B Album yeah. a few months ago. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Big surprise
0: for me there. Let's move on to Logic, though. So I call people your guy a lot just to kind of, you know, poke you a little bit, add a a tiny bit of humor. It's not very funny, but add a little bit of humor on here. (laughs) But Logic really is your guy. I mean, you've been been standing for him, I think. And I say standing loosely, too, on this. But I feel like you also I feel like you really have stand for Logic in the past that you really have been there and been a big fan of him
1: longer than a lot of other people have well that is that is true yes and I, i've seen him live three times and he's great live yeah he is very good 20 2012 20, maybe like yeah i was listening a long time definitely before the fame before he was popular for sure but i've been very up and down in my fandom of him as his creative output has waxed and waned i was not super jazzed about this album again he announced it only like a week a few days before it came out i kind of expected it was coming given all the singles he had been dropping they had the similar single art aesthetic from sam spratt like the cover so you kind of figured it was coming but yeah i wasn't super hyped about it and then when i heard it i was like yeah okay i, w- I was right to not really care too much but what, what did you think as a uh, a new evangelist logic logic costs the church of
0: bobby biracial (laughs) we we talked about logic first what 2017 with everybody i think was the first time we reviewed yeah i don't think we got to bobby tarantino one and i think then we talked about bobby tarantino two and i think we talked about young sinatra Sinatra four
1: last year yeah
0: so we we talked about him quite a bit on here and my stance on logic. He's he's a very good technical rapper. I think he. Oh yeah. I think he punches above his weight in a lot of ways, and he's also I think uses his platform for a lot of really meaningful topics, which I give him a lot of credit for. On Young Young Sinatra Four, the song that probably stood out to me most was the Wu Tang song. Oh, yeah, it, and did it stood it. out because. It was an awesome Wu-Tang song, but you know, it was a solid album, but I don't think there's anything on there that I took away being super memorable. And that kind of continues for me on Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, because while I think that this is well produced, well constructed, he's the same old rapity rap self on here. I don't think that there's anything I'm going to be talking about year end on here. I don't think there's any, th- any songs I'm even going to be really remembering much maybe Keanu Reeves in a bit but that's probably going to be because John Wick 3 is coming out I'm going to be thinking about Keanu Reeves a bit more there's some good and some bad on here but it sounds like you're pretty
1: disappointed with this well I think this actually kind of continues a conversation we've had several times not the whole album logic versus mixtape logic meta convo that logic has addressed on past projects at this point but you know with Bobby Tarantino 2 that was kind of like the modern day trap influenced contemporary sound Logic spin on that. Young Sinatra 4, the other album from last year, last fall, was more of the back-to-the-basics, come-up logic, 90s-inspired, sample-heavy logic. And his albums have largely been kind of down the middle in that regard, where he's much more conceptual, but doesn't usually go as hard as he did on those tapes. So Young Sinatra 4 was kind of refreshing for the old heads, because they're like, yeah, we well, you know you could still do this. But it was cool to actually have you try. Now, for Confessions just sounds a lot like Bobby Tarantino 1 and 2 to me. And I was not a big fan of those just because ultimately, I think Logic doing braggadocia, I'm so rich and successful now, fuck all y'all, is not that interesting when it's coming from Logic. Like if I want that kind of rap, which is all fine and good, I'm just going to ask someone else to give it to me. Whereas Logic, I feel because like, he's a more thoughtful guy, as you said, it doesn't seem sincere. When it coming from him, it almost feels a little lazy. Like, I know you could try and write better songs, but you're just kind of phoning it in on this because he, you're a technical guy. So it's not hard for you to make these songs. I mean, it speaks to his talent, obviously, but I would just prefer him to not just make these Victory Lap albums because they don't I feel like they don't do anything for me.
0: I think it's a great point. And I do wonder what it is about the mixtapes that seem to bring out so much more in him. Because it's, I think that there is a, a, a stark contrast just from the last Young Sinatra four for me saying it wasn't memorable in a lot of ways. felt like it just had more energy. felt mm-hmm. like he just had more that he was trying to get across in terms of message. And here it almost feels a bit contrived at times. We were talking before we got on air about the song. Well, I'm trying to make, make sure I get it right. Clickbait. Yeah, right. Thank you. And how Logic is a very thoughtful person who, like I said before, brings messages into his songs that you don't hear a lot of artists talking about clickbait falls a bit flat because it doesn't feel like he's actually hitting the point home that he thinks he is or no. maybe doing it in the best way
1: and it just kind of comes across as like
0: bleh, bleh. <laughs> for lack of a better way to
1: clickbait it. specifically which i think on its surface sounds fine like it's not like it, it, it's a, a disgusting mm-hmm. song or anything but he thinks that He's making like a much deeper dig or, or, or punch back at his critics than he really is. Like, it's not actually that witty. And ultimately, I feel like a lot of the things he talks about on Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, is just pointing at his internet critics. And, you know, it's weird because I was actually looking up, this projected to do like 75, 80,000 first week. Uh, it'll be his third number one, obviously a very successful week. But this is a far cry from everybody, which did almost 250 and it's kind of weird and a lot of that's driven by 1-800 being a mega smash hit but it is kind of weird seeing him kind of crust a little bit but regardless he has this huge fan base why do you care about the haters so much i almost would rather you double down on the fans that have got you here and i think yeah. just making music that sounds like everybody else but doesn't uh, rise above it isn't really the best way to go about that obviously your fans will be there regardless money's not going to stop flowing or anything but we didn't even talk about supermarket which is the soundtrack album he came, released at the end of march following up his uh, book that he made and supermarket was critically panned like as panned as something can be because he just does all this like stadium rock and guitar heavy and lots of singing and it's just nothing logic has ever done before and chocker he's not actually oh. good at any of this and i didn't yeah, even ask I you wish to we listen to, to it let alone review it just because there was no point in is shitting on something for five minutes but D- did he sound like kevin rudolph yeah god do you, you know maybe that? i mean he's all over the place on it but <laughs> I, I just he just has an error right now of my shit doesn't stink i can do whatever i want and while yes technically mm. you can do whatever you want i think creatively it's just a little he just it just seems a little listless you know now that he found all the success and popularity and money and he name drops a million people in the game on this you he, he doesn't feel like he has a musical purpose right now I don't know. It's not a. It's not like the worst thing I heard. Obviously, he's very competent, very technical guy, and he's good here for production. But it is nothing stands out about the album. Point you brought up about
0: him talking about his haters more than focusing on the fans that got him there feels almost like a, a conversation on like the nature of of artists, you know? Because there there is that like piece for many artists where they feel doubted in some way, and that drives them to push themselves to reach another level to put out better content. And once they reach that level, it's like now what? What am I pulling from? What am I talking about? And this is I think a lot of times what happens with the rock artists we talk about who put out that great first album and then after they after that, it's like what do I have to say? What do I what do I really want to get at? And it feels like for logic and we we give him a lot of credit for being a a smart artist so to speak someone that's that at least is talking about issues that no one else is talking about in his songs i I really wonder maybe he's finding right now he doesn't know what his voice is because he's not sure what he really is trying to say he's reached a level of success and it happened fairly quickly for me i I know around for a long time but he really blew up pretty quick and reached this another stratosphere and i wonder if he's still grappling with now that I'm here, what do I really want to talk about? What do I really want to do with this? And I have no doubt he'll figure it out. I don't think we're going to keep getting this quality of albums from him. But I'd almost like to see him maybe try to make like an album with somebody else. Something where he's like mm. pushing himself to collaborate and see if that can inspire some, some something from him. Any songs on here that you want to you want to touch on or,
1: or that you would recommend people check out still ball and that's a follow-up to indica badu another whiz feature I thought that was okay commando G easy that's clearly a song for the white women <laughs> um, i'm sure that'll do well <laughs> for the white women on, in the, those radio stations my favorite song is mama slash show love because it has ybn corday mm. very inspired feature choice but he's not really a secret anymore but still it's nice that a def jam rapper would put corday mm-hmm on his album I like that he's actually he just announced a tour with J.I.D. and Core Day that sounds like a fantastic tour the three of them I did not like Homicide with Eminem I thought Keanu Reeves he goes really hard on it but it just kind of went in one ear and out the other for me but the Will Smith feature was just a big gimmick personally it's kind of funny but whatever
0: I felt the same way I was like Will Smith on this track just feels like you're
1: trying to get attention then again on everybody, he had Neil deGrasse Tyson and Ansel Elgord. He he he's had shock features before, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so
0: Logic, not not sure if we'll have one of his songs on there, but Ari Lennox, we will. Again, check out the playlist Nostalgia Pod Best of 2019. Let's talk about Veep. So Veep wrapped up its final and seventh season last night, and boy, you've watched it in a pretty condensed time yeah, frame. Yeah. I've been following. it. I wasn't right on Veep when it first came out, but pretty quickly, I think I tuned in the second season or so. And I think I think there's a lot to say about Veep as a comedy in, in the times that, that it, it came through. But as
1: someone that has watched it more recently, what's like your main takeaway of the show? Yeah, I've watched the whole show this year, very condensed. And yeah, watching watching the early seasons, the uh, Armando Ainucci seasons in 2019. It is kind of funny that you see it like the, the the before and the after of the show before David Mandel took over as showrunner where it starts off as an Obama era show and there's a different kind of politi- political joke making you do when you make that kind of show and this and I think Veep started out as a very observational and obviously satirical take on modern politics but it largely existed in contrast to something seemingly shakespearean like house of card fast forward a few seasons house of card critically craters obviously donald trump shows up then gets elected and then we have the concern trolling that i remember being aware of Even though i watched the show it's like oh how do you how do you sat satire when the real satire is happening realistically right now like oh, how do you do how do you do it in the age of trump yep and it did feel like season uh season six the first season that had any creation under the uh, era of trump was still kind of finding its footing Mm -hmm. whereas season seven which obviously just wrapped up a condensed season took a while to get going get off to get shot given uh cancer from julia dreyfus but it i don't think it's the best season i still think the early stuff is just like the the, has the smartest writing but i thought season seven just gets super super cutting yeah and almost ups the ante on what it's satirizing we're like oh well if the if current events are this ridiculous then i guess we just have to make our show more ridiculous but because it's still smartly written and we've been with these characters such a long time it pays off i think the finale in particular is just fucking really cutting but it does feel like a natural closing of selena's art even though i rushed through the show at a pace i wouldn't have liked to watch it at i still was a big fan of the overall crust of the show but even this final season as well
0: you you touched on a lot of really great points i I agree the early season writing is just like unbelievable but i do think the quality of writing even when it dips a little bit probably like after season four still stays at such a high level and there's so many it's kind of like another show we talked about uh recently rested development where it's almost like levels Mm -hmm. to the jokes where it's like if you weren't paying attention to this thing that happened in season one or two you're not going to get how joke evolved in season four and now is presenting itself in season seven and it's uh it's a really class act i think in terms of how you write a show and how you develop characters over time and how you introduce other characters into the mix as well someone like Richard, a character that was introduced yes. in the mid seasons, I think it was like season four, maybe, and Blatt. and he just, <laughs> I think he became one of my favorite characters on the show. Yep, he, his like dry, direct, kind of like dim-witted, but still mm-hmm. really sharp humor was like such a, a refresher to like all the the cutting and really just like mean-spirited humor throughout the rest of the show he was really a breath of fresh air one one person who really i think has evolved throughout the show and i'm not sure in the best way but i think in, in a really effective way was jonah t- played by timothy mm. simons and timothy simons probably is one of the biggest risers from this show a relative unknown going into it and now uh, a pretty well-known actor within comedy mm. years in hollywood his his arc he starts off as like a decently competent person in the beginning and just like it's worn down right. into this like total caricature of idiot politics at this point. What did you think about his like character arc over the course of the seven seasons? I mean, he marries a sister,
1: <laughs> his actual sister. <laughs> well, he just starts out as like Jonad, right? Yeah. He's just like the doof that no one fucking respects, mm-hmm. and that certainly doesn't change. But I actually really liked how they had people using him by running for office and pushing his career and i think it's just really funny and because uh, simon's is so committed to the characterization of jonah he just delivers the lines so confidently (laughs) that when people are ripping jonah's asshole open and then jonah's just saying these matter-of-fact responses back and just taking it in stride it's just the one of the funniest things you've ever seen and obviously you can make the comparisons to modern-day politics and the way everything's very partisan and hostile these days and mm-hmm. obviously doesn't break any news there but having him just go like full tilt and like off the reservation i thought it was it was, it was pretty great he had to keep leveling yep. up in, in in this new age and he was kind of one of the more logical things to uh take to the next extreme i agree and it's still funny the whole time like if it wasn't funny maybe you don't laugh as much at his you know kind of racist uh sentiments. <laughs> Like, obviously, he's portrayed as a dick, so it's not like the show's uh, endorsing what he says, obviously, right. but he says some fucked up shit. And I mean, then again, so does uh, Selena's Camp, too. So, oh. you know, I think you just got to have to roll. With it. I mean, in
0: in the last episode, Selena's Camp gives up gay marriage as, as a way of getting her the election. I mean, the last episode, like you said, I think really wraps. Shout out uh, Dick Cheney. Yeah. And vice, <laughs> crazy. a and, and good call. I didn't even make make that connection. Uh, thinking back to it. it, I think the ending was so perfect. Uh, even before they they sh- they do the twenty four year time jump to uh, after mm-hmm. her death, is uh, her sitting alone in the Oval Office? Because I think if anything you take away from mm-hmm. this show, it's that as much as you might like Selena Meyer as a character because you find her funny, she really is pretty despicable as a human being and dance for nothing. exactly we'll do anything yada yada and uh, i think having her sitting alone uh getting what she wanted but still being it seems pretty unhappy was a perfect way to kind of show it and it seems like that's kind of the overall message for everybody in the show except for maybe richard honestly who ends up being it seems like the best president the united states ever has uh in this in this world
1: how, <laughs> how did
0: you feel it? like they did landing i guess the overall moral of the story
1: yeah, well, I think, obviously, the shot of her being alone kind of drives it home. But right before that, Selena th- makes Gary the fall guy for the Meyer yep. Fund. And Gary is, without a doubt, the most loyal person she's had for, for you know, the decade plus that he would, they were to get 20 years there together, whatever it was. And just kind of showing that the, the length she would go to get something she always wanted and always failed to achieve through her own uh, incompetence and lack of leadership and ideas and all mm. that uh having her truly like stab gary in the back like that i liked that and, and it made it, sense it's cutting it's hard it man but it made sense
0: you know and, and they they do it in such funny ways but when you really like break it down it's really like uh, it's a it's a tragedy in a lot of senses and we're going to be talking about an even bigger tragedy in terms of uh hbo show in a second but i think you know i think if there was one episode of tv last night that Really landed high expectations. I think it was Veep. So if you have a chance to go back, you know people are rewatch HBO shows a lot just because the quality of their catalog is undeniable at this point. But Veep is one that you shouldn't overlook. um Thrown yeah. and it's easy to watch. It's easy to get
1: through. Yeah. I'm a testament to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think ultimately like the the thing that made Veep so fun, just episode to episode, is that the casting. Was just so mm-hmm. great, and then combine that with the great writing, as we mentioned, and it just it just soars. But I mean, having like Gary Cole and Kevin Dunn as just side characters in the ensemble, guys that are just like comedy stalwarts that have been in the comedy making business forever, mm-hmm. just having them like off the bench, just delivering <laughs> fucking funny jokes, like it's great. And then I think you know, obviously Anna uh, Chumpsky won or nominated for hella Emmys as Amy, and I think Amy. Has a really great arc as she goes through a shit ton yeah. throughout the show, and reads Scott as Dan, uh, another guy that like the characterization is just so precise, uh-huh. and you always really know where Dan stands on things. Yet you still like watching yeah, him, he... despite him being
0: a, a insufferable person. Each of these characters are so distinct and and like well thought out, right. and they never. They never do anything that's really outside of their character, which I think is a testament to the writing because they didn't have to sell themselves out to drive plot. They always had a way of writing around it, which I thought was great.
1: Any other thoughts? No, man. I'm happy I uh, made the time to to catch up. Like I I think I did it in two months, maybe, maybe a little less. Thank God it's a half hour show, but you can do it too. Any lines
0: <laughs> from, or like anything from the show, any jokes from the show that really stand out to you as like their
1: best? I have a line in particular that's coming to mind for me. I mean, I don't remember any offhand, but the show produces legitimate laugh yeah. out loud moments, which is easier said than done. And I think early on, a lot of it's Jonah related, but I think by the end, I mean, it's basically everyone. But yeah, oh, yeah. Well, what did you. Uh, uh, I don't
0: remember, remember which episode, but Jonah at one point in the early season says. I'm eating so much pussy and shit and clits, and that will forever be like my favorite line from the show. <laughs> also, the way the way Timothy Simons yep. delivers it, it's just like you said. It's so confident, and like he thinks it's like the like funniest thing ever said. It's uh, it's fantastic. So why don't we move on to Thrones though? All right, Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Season
0: eight, episode five. The Mad Queen, dude. The bells. Yeah, the bells. I mean, really, this is just Danny evolving into. The Mad Queen. In the majority of the episode was the Battle of King's Landing, which fu- not really a battle. Yeah, a sack. Yeah, I, I guess that's a much better way to put it. But Danny just uh, running shit with Drogon. Apparently, like she, you really don't need an army when you have a dragon. Like,
1: well, hmm. what could have stopped her? Yeah,
0: I mean, I. I my, my whole thing is just like, if it was this easy, I wish she had just gone and burned down the Red Keep, like three seasons ago just get it over with Uh, it's it's not good story seven episode
1: two or something (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) would would have been real nice just to be like oh okay that that, that's taken care of uh give a little bit more time to some of these other storylines that we've been talking about which obviously could not have been driven forward if cersei and jamie had been killed that early but i think more than anything it just kind of comes back to the pacing of the show is the biggest problem people are nitpicking at oh it, it doesn't make sense for danny's character to All of a sudden, have this, this heel turn while she, you know, while the bells are ringing. Weak take. I I agree. I think it is a weak take. Um, especially, you know, I was thinking back and there's, there's, I think right as she like heel turns, there's someone screaming, Queen Cersei, bring the bells. And I think that right there probably is what made her snap is this idea that she's basically made King's Landing bend to her will and they're still calling someone else their queen at that point. And she's just like, fuck this. They're never going to really love me. They're never going to really choose me over the people who are originally here but still I, I come back to they've been building up to these things happening for a while i don't think there's anything that's happened in the show where i'm like wow that, that doesn't make any sense for these characters to be doing these things i think they're all within the realm of possibility mm-hmm. i do think the pace of was just happening is a bit jarring because you know you go from how methodical the early seasons were i mean how many like the whole first season is like tywin just like Writing letters and just, you know, setting up these elaborate traps. And then you just have these a a lot of plot happening within condensed periods. And it just
1: feels like the show is just happening too quickly. Right. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. I haven't really had a problem with any one character decision or action. I think all of it has made sense and seemed logical in terms of the way the arcs were going. But because. The season, the past seasons have been condensed in terms of just less episodes, less runtime, less runway to pad things out. When character does A and then Amelia does B, whether in the episode or an hour and a half later the next episode, it does feel rushed, even if ultimately that direction would have made sense. And I think what happens between Brienne and Jamie and then Jaime and Cersei is a good example of that, where I actually really liked... How it went down, but it did feel mm-hmm. sped up as a result. And I'm not disappointed, but it just feels like the execution has hurt the effectiveness of things that should have been effectively effective because it was the right thing to happen. And, I, you know, uh, some people have been surprised at Danny breaking bad. And again, as you said, that has been sewn and laid out through six other seasons, seven other seasons she's literally burned somebody or something in every other season for that matter. And they've laid the ground that she is uh, insecure in terms of the, the the support of the other people and feeling like an outsider in the place she thought of was her true home. That's all been set up, but because it's the actual plot action is taking place in less amount of time. It just feels a little, uh, a little jarring as you said. So I think, I I mean, I, I kind of accepted the, the, the pacing would be off since last season. So I haven't really been letting it bother me. And I really liked last uh, last night, the Bells, because it was Miguel Sapochnik, and shout out all you people with bad TVs or bit rates or whatever. It was in the, in the light. You could see. I'm glad <laughs> everyone could Sh- up Shout up.
0: Shouts to all, all you people out there with bad TVs. That's, that's a quote right there. You know, it's really, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about this, and Danny if this had been a regular season of game of thrones right and they didn't have to speed it up over six episodes it was a regular 10 episode season uh, you have to think the the battle for winterfell is probably mid season and then they spend an episode planning the sack of king's landing danny and john there's a lot more in terms of their relationship falling apart and drama there a lot more about uh, Sansa and, and you know, how she's kind of like sowing these seeds elsewhere, Varys and Tyrion working behind the scenes. There's just more that's showing like it, you know, you would probably see more scenes of Danny looking gaunt and looking tired and looking just totally worn down. You'd see yeah, you you'd see probably Varys trying yeah. to work more of like the little birds trying to like poison Danny or whatever they were trying to do there at the beginning. There's just all these things that would have giving it more like ah you see what's happening you're laying it out more and that's Mm. what what the time gives you is it gives you time to show and because there's so little time they've had to tell us a lot of things one area where i think they actually really failed to show more than they did in other places was last night after danny broke bad they didn't show her Uh, they didn't show any reactions of her other than her on the back of drogon and I felt like that was actually a bit of a miss because I, I think they I guess after on the uh, after the thrones they talked about they wanted you to really get the feel of what it was like to be on the ground, what these common folk were going through, um, which, yeah, and, and you Terror. definitely get that with Arya. But I almost feel like I I got it. I got I, I understood it after like the first 10 or 15 times I saw a building explode or I saw fire burn these innocent people alive i wanted to see what was going through danny's mind was she just totally raging was she like in like a, a fugue state like i wanted to see like where she was at because i felt like you know this is a, this is a big heel turn for her And the next time we're going to see her is what sitting on a throne of ash uh, i wanted to see what that reaction was for her and i felt like that was a bit of a miss in terms of the show
1: interesting yeah yeah that's a good point i mean some, I see a lot of people making jokes but the crossbows uh-huh. the scorpions <laughs> i didn't have that, that that big an issue with it just because whether it was logical or not the ray attack was a mm-hmm. surprise right we <laughs> <So> were <laughs> Which... ready for it and now having danny do the the heron hall dive bomb from the top awesome and but... just fucking shit up uh it's okay with me i mean what the the crossbows went like three for a hundred you know, or <laughs> generous. They, they hit a home. They hit a home run game one, and then went over yeah. four the next day. Like I don't know. It it, it kind of adds up to me. I don't find that game breaking or anything. Yeah, it, it's still annoying. I think more than anything, just like sure, it's an unforced error. Like it's a nitpick that you didn't have to present for the nitpickers to pick. You exactly. Know? You know, I, I actually kind of enjoyed Euron and Jamie, and a lot of people have remarked that it kind of just shows the promise that Euron had if mm-hmm. the, his show incarnation was done a little differently. Euron's a character in the books that is much more layered and also a lot scarier and more formidable, but ultimately does a lot of stuff that was never even close to being addressed on the show. So it made sense that he was changed. In fact, having him be introduced to the show at such a late stage and kind of reestablishing the iron islands as an entity, mm-hmm. you know, as a choice they made and it, it had, you know, mixed results, but I don't know having them, you know, scrap on the beach. It was cool. Cause like, obviously I, you, you, no one wants to see Euron kill Jamie, mm-hmm. but I'm also happy Euron got fucked up and not just fried alive on a ship. Yeah, I agree. And then, like, obviously, clue was a big Yeah, that was awesome. Thing people have wanted for a long time. It's been on t shirts for three years. Mm-hmm. And the Hound did not disappoint. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely not. And Hound is a character that basically served his narrative purpose already. He's he, obviously a fantastic character. Rory McCann has been great the whole time, but he kind of served his purpose up through his duel with Brienne. He redeemed himself in a certain sense, Arya learned from him, and we were good. But then he comes back Mm -hmm. to life, and again, it's also hinted that he'll do this in the books, but having him come back, it's kind of like bonus hound, right? And we get him doing just cool shits at the long night, and obviously beyond the wall, but it would have felt weird that the hound really came back to life if he didn't attempt to settle his score with Gregor, with Mountain, and I thought that was badass. I thought having Cersei like tiptoe around and be like, let me get out of here. Y'all, y'all do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Also, the way Sir Gregor yeah. fucking nonchalantly murders Kyber and I thought it was awesome because Kyber a character yeah. that has been, I think, hey, portrayed, yeah, Kyber, he's been portrayed pretty well <laughs> for some time, but no one's really thought, oh, I wonder how Kyber going to die. And just having it be like, just like a snap of the fingers like that, I thought was effective. And it's also kind of, uh, fitting considering kyburn's the reason the mountain came back to life in a certain mm-hmm. sense and you know yeah. having like the mountain remove some of his armor and really seeing how much of a reanimated corpse he really is you know shout out all the the, the magic heads that don't think they get enough of that on the show well you got some magic you literally saw him being a fucking tank so i thought well I thought, yeah I thought and, was and
0: a dragon the whole entire episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the clicking, clicking bowl hit. But you know what scene actually stood out a lot to me? And I was surprised at how emotional I got was the Jamie Tyrion scene. Oh, Tyrion it. frees him. And that, I thought, Damn. was one of the strongest scenes yesterday. Because, uh, you know, I think it gets overlooked a lot, their relationship. But I think they really captured, like, that brotherhood. And uh, Dinklage, uh, I mean, I thought for sure he was gone this week. I'm glad he wasn't. I'm glad he survived, but I think he's been excellent with a character that's been evolving a bit this season. And they're not, I, I think they're not a hundred percent sure how to keep Tyrion in this as he keeps taking these L's. Like it also feels a bit, I don't know if it makes total sense for him. Cause I also think it undersells a little bit of the intelligence of the character mm. at times, but overall I think, um, I think that was great. I think the, the relationship moments are great too. Like when, uh, Danny was talking to John at the beginning of the episode and talking about how alone she feels, and John's trying to comfort her, say, "You know, this is my queen. Uh, you're you're my queen forever." And then he like kind of pulls back from the kiss. I thought that was incredibly effective yep. to kind of lay that that twist that comes, you know, that feeling of being alone that Danny's dealing with. So the show is still top notch. It's just Game of Thrones has set such a high bar. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> that it, no no show was going to be able to. To maintain that, as you're also ending a beloved story that hasn't had its conclusion
1: yet, and it's also super wide and unwieldy right. as a narrative. I just laugh when people are like Game of Thrones is bad now, and they're like 100% serious. Like it's not bad. Relax. No. Like I just tr- I don't trust your critical opinion if you really think that. You know, it's and as we said before. You can be disappointed or pissed off at the pacing and thought things didn't land the way they should have, that is a totally fair way to feel. and I think most people feel that way, at least to some degree. But Mm -hmm. I just think people have been taking their distrust uh, of the showrunners up to this point now, given what we've seen, and their disappointment in how the pacing has treated uh, the story, and are now applying that to, oh, well, this arc isn't actually the way something could go. They're ruining characters. I just don't think any of that actually lands when you examine what's going on only one episode to go though it's kind of wild that it's uh basically done
0: yeah any any predictions you want to make before uh
1: we yeah. uh we wrap well, up the round as everyone's saying to quote ramsey uh, if you think this has a happy ending you haven't been paying attention and now everyone's like oh well, danny's definitely gonna die by john or yes Yes, they're clearly the probably the only two options there are to get it done mm-hmm. if it was to happen what if it doesn't happen what if john like turns his back on her and goes up north hang out with torment and ghosts or just go live with sansa I, I don't know like i I really i'm curious to see how danny acts after after winning after sealing the deal like obviously she has her army that's still loyal to her but will she just let the north go that doesn't sound like that's something she would do given every convo she had with sansa earlier in the season so i don't know I, there's a lot to go down and it's an 80 minute episode once again but it's not like it's a big battle episode we assume so i i, I don't know it, it could go any number of ways i feel like it's kind of foolish to theorize at this point because most theories aren't incorrect now these days
0: yeah i mean I, I think there's gonna have to be some sort of showdown between danny and john especially because you know gray worm's gonna narc on john about you know pulling back his forces right as danny is pushing forward but yeah I, w- I i would i would like to see that you know just go up north and just be like, "Yo, we're just gonna chill up here." But Danny's not gonna let that happen. She's gonna come fly that dragon and burn shit to the ground. So it's gonna have to be some sort of, some sort of closure there. But yeah, uh, to theorize at this point feels almost foolish because, I mean, there's just too many variables. Um, we'll also, see Bran you... again. I'll theorize that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. somehow. Uh, and and hopefully he'll have some importance because he right now is the biggest question mark. I think he's been all season. Like, what what are you doing, Bran? It's up to you. <laughs> anyways why don't we jump into two movies quick we each watched a movie that we wanted to talk about in the pod this week we're going to start with under the silver lake uh, david robert mitchell a24 uh, production that has been pushed back from june of last year to december of last year and now kind of dropped in no man's land it, it originally premiered at Cannes uh or con 2018 there you go Cans, it uh, cans, Americans, these, these cans of beans, uncultured Americans, and it was it was considered divisive, and you know, in, in watching this, I can totally see why that was the characterization it was given, only because it, it's not necessarily offensive in any way, but it it does get a bit confusing, and it's like this like neo noir conspiracy film that is sprawling and you know i'm not very familiar with david robert mitchell's other work you know i i'm aware of it follows but i don't really know much about it i haven't seen it and it seems like he was really trying to get at something here that he never quite landed the ship on but there's enough here where i was left pretty intrigued and i i think with maybe a little bit more refining this is this could be the first look at a director who's ready to break out and really do some really interesting work. But it, this film really is buoyed by uh, a pretty decent performance by Andrew Garfield, who I feel like it's a, you know post Spider Man and and hasn't really had a lot of roles out of two media. I mean Silence, I guess, would have been the last. Yeah, that's major what I immediately thought of as well um but even that i think was a film that was pretty forgettable even though it had two strong performances from him and driver in it you know it, riley keogh is great in this topher grace i, I thought the performances are all pretty good jimmy St- jimmy simpson jumps in and out of this at times Ooh, and nice. it, it's a really fun when he does My my, my biggest critique is it, it just is really confusing there's a lot of conspiracy hmm. in this there's a lot of like connecting the dots and at times i felt pretty lost watching it like who is this person again? Why is this? Why are they doing this? Or how did they connect these things? But there's some, there's some really cool parts. There's a band called uh, Jesus and the three Dracula brides or something like that, which I think is supposed to be like a father, John Misty type band, (laughs) you know, where they're kind of like playing on this like full Jesus and the brides of Dracula. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And the brides of Dracula. And uh, they really play on this like, folky rock thing and uh he he gets led to this person called the songwriter at one point and the way he gets there Max is martin the, yeah um he he stumbles onto this guy after confronting uh jesus and being like hey like t- tell me about this song you wrote And he's like i didn't even write that one that came from the songwriter and he's like which ones did you write and it, like he's like <laughs> i wrote every one but this one this one this one and he's like so, you wrote all the ones that aren't hits, and like it was a pretty funny, I think commentary on how like the people who are talented in Hollywood aren't actually as talented as you probably think um there's also a lot about like gender that that comes to the top when you really think about the themes of this movie uh, a lot about how a girl going missing yeah a, a girl goes girl goes missing is kind of like the the plot driver know mystery at the center of all this, but really, it's this idea that the women within Hollywood seems to kind of pass along from uh, these powerful men to powerful men and hmm. are kind of like passed along without really getting much say within the system. Um, and I, I thought that was pretty thoughtful, but didn't totally land. So I think, I think with a little more refining, this could have been a really uh, good movie, but overall pretty middling for me.
1: Um, Interesting. Do, do you, do you plan on checking this one out? Oh, definitely. Yeah. See, I was, you know, we'll wear the movie for some time obviously we've you know both got on the radar after it we went to uh, yeah. con but a24 only put it in theaters for one week the week right before endgame they just took it right out and it was only in i think like three theaters that week so i, I don't know if see it but at least they put it on vod right away but definitely strikes itself it's just kind of one of those like sunk cost movies you so, are like oh well it definitely is like more of an artsy shoot your shot kind of movie mm-hmm. and if it doesn't land with enough critics it's kind of hard to see the movie selling itself enough to make any money so i understand why they just t- ripped it right out of theaters basically um but yeah i'm gonna i definitely want to give it a shot I just enough have time um would you say does it have an identity as a uh, la movie as the name would suggest it's set in los angeles silver lake neighborhood but you know i think la movies is a really cool subgenre, especially within noirs within mystery films and like destroyer last year i thought was really great and had a cool la identity but did you think this uh said then Obviously, the story is definitely involved with uh la you think's unique to uh, la entertainment industry but do you th- do you think it would uh fit into that category well
0: yeah i think it would you know especially because the way that they're uh, at the beginning are jumping around from like these parties in these different neighborhoods there's really a distinct feel of like where they're going within the story oh, and cool. there's even a part where uh, uh and it's a it's a bit of a on the nose metaphor but you know they're talking about being like kept in these like mausoleums, almost in a way, like trapped within them. And he like looks out the Hollywood sign, and it's just kind of like, oh, what's the real mausoleum, man? Is it this Hollywood system? Is it gotcha. this this life we're living in here? Which, like I said, a little on the nose, but like it's it's effective. So uh definitely a LA movie, and I really would recommend checking it out. If not for checking out something thoughtful and interesting, and it's video on demand at this point, so like yeah, a couple bucks on your Amazon Prime account won't hurt. Talk to me about Detected Pikachu because, uh, boy, uh, I didn't know I needed Detected Pikachu in my life, but I I really want to go see this movie. Uh,
1: Yeah, so I actually was a little disappointed in it, to be honest. Oh, I'm definitely in the minority on that. It's uh, getting a rave response, especially from Pokemon fans. And I think it's one of those films that most people had no expectations for. That When they saw that first trailer, they're like, oh, wait a minute. It actually looks pretty good, and I will say, the movie looks really good. I think right away when you get to, um, I forgot the name, Rhyme City, the, the metro- there's this metropolis that P- uh, Pokemon and uh, humans live in harmony together. There's no battling, there's no uh, capturing, and they're just kind of chilling in a city, and it's got a very, like, kids' movie meets Blade Runner vibe, where you get, like, you know, the the noir colors of it all, and... The whole story is, uh, as you, the name might suggest, is a, there's a mystery going on. So Detective Pikachu, and there's literally a Humphrey Bogart uh, movie, black and white movie, on TV in the, in, for a brief moment. And it's definitely a nod to those kind of old school detective movies. But visually, I thought it looked really cool. And the Pokemon overall and the CGI is effective, and they do feel like they're part of the world, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely something that needed to work. If that was not successful, nothing else would have mattered. Uh, so they definitely nailed that for me ultimately my issue with it was just it's rated pg mm-hmm. and it's ultimately just a kids movie and the plot is uh simple easy to predict and just a little juvenile and I, I don't know i guess i just i wanted it to be a little more a little smarter than it was you know and i think maybe ryan reynolds voicing pikachu gave me unfair expectations i was kind of wanting him to be more Deadpooly, and he has lots of great one-liners and uh quippy comments but they were just a little uh few and far between for me to keep me going because i thought the the story was ultimately a bit of a bore for me so disappointing in that regard but you know there's a lot of cool nods for pokemon fans i mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: this and like there's nods to like the show and the games like squirtle hanging out with the firefighters and growlith with the cops and a jigglypuff putting someone to sleep in a restaurant while singing and you know thing, things things touchstones for people that have known about pokemon for some time yeah. and ultimately like the it goes across all the genres you see pokemon from all over but as you can imagine it you see mostly uh the original 150 and uh, mewtwo's in this as you see in the trailer so i was gonna ask about that how is what is mewtwo's role within the story uh yeah mewtwo is um in again he's interesting but it's like the kind of like archetype he plays in the movie is something we've seen before and if it was, if, if, i wish this movie was at pg-13 i just wish it had a little punched up just a little bit more i understand why it wasn't that but you could have done even more with me too i think there, there there's this twist at the end that i won't spoil twist at the very end that i didn't even notice at the time that i started thinking about it, it was actually like, it's very very illogical it's it's regarding um pikachu and uh mm-hmm. regarding pikachu and it's just, just something weird that I didn't suspect, but ultimately I think it's a, it's a successful movie for what it's trying to do. And, you know, video game adaptations has a very poor track record. I mean, we reviewed Tomb Raider beginning of last year, and I think that was a movie that was inoffensive at best and forgettable at worst. It wasn't really bad, per se, and honestly, it's stepping in the right direction. But I think Detective Pikachu has enough, like, visual flair and personality that it stands out and it'll be naturally compared to sonic the hedgehog once that comes out and given the reaction to the sonic first sonic trailer uh we can probably imagine how that will go but pikachu Pikachu, it's existing on a curve it's existing as a video game movie and one made for kids so it's it's tough to be too critical of it but yeah I, i i think it's definitely a watch for anyone who has any pokemon knowledge but if you don't know anything about pokemon really like you know of pikachu and that's about it you're kind of just thrown in and it might not be that interesting to you unless you're just cool with a simple simple story
0: it's interesting because i expected this to dethrone avengers at the box office me too and it didn't domestically Yeah. so uh, i'm wondering one does that mean avengers might actually get there and,
1: and surpass avatar as the highest grossing movie it slowed down quite a bit so comment on that it seems like it's probably going to get really really close to avatar mm-hmm. if not beat it for the worldwide record but there's basically no chance that it can beat force awakens for the domestic record now yeah um it's actually dipped below the force awakens pace now after three, three weeks so that's bad news given the big slate of competition only uh coming for endgame so yeah it's a, I think dead two had a, a good launch and uh it won one country over Endgame Japan, shocker! But I think I would not be surprised if this has some decent legs as a again a PG movie, a kids' movie. Mm-hmm. And as more and more people see Endgame, they're gonna look for something else to see. And uh, John Wick 3 is definitely much more uh concentrated to a certain demo, let's put it that way. Yep. So I think this will have a really good second weekend, and it does deserve it. And then you know, whether what is cool about this movie is that it doesn't set have any obvious setup for a sequel. I thought that was a big issue with Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider did a lot of time like attempting to set up more and kinda rushing past the basic stuff that I needed to do in the first movie. In mm-hmm. Pikachu is very self contained, which makes sense considering it's based off a very small scale three DS game and they didn't try and tackle like blue version of the game yeah. and make some grand epic adventure tale it's not quite that and i think that was a great really good choice and you know, you're starting small and whether this leads to more pokemon movies or, or super smash brothers universe as a lot of people are praying for we'll see but uh a little a little too kitty for me at the end of the day but i'm not hating
0: you know i i really wonder like what it would be like for a pokemon like trilogy where it followed like the original games or something like that i guess you can't do the yeah. original but like where they like broke it up where it's like uh, the first half of the gym second half of the gyms and you take on the the final i forgot they're called the league or whatever the lead four. yes lead four. thank you i i think that i think that could be cool depending on like which pokemon they chose, show they chosen who was cast in it but uh... yeah
1: you know they they've done some cool like youtube shorts on like the pokemon channel and little like anime shorts and it is a surprisingly rich world obviously a lot of that is that the fact that there's like 800 fucking pokemon now there's tons of them right mm-hmm. but it's a lived-in world as far as anime worlds go and i would be curious what kind of sequel they would make because you have a small-scale story you have justice smith and Catherine newton as these two kids and they're like the they're your adult uh, human leads but you can't make a sequel without Detective Pikachu, and I think having Detective Pikachu, Ryan Reynolds voicing this anthropomorphic Pikachu that is like a jokester and works with cops, like I feel like that kind of limits your 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 uh, your runway yeah. for what you can do at a sequel. So maybe it'll be a one-off, and no problem with that.
0: No problem with that at all. And we're gonna wrap up there for this week. What do the, what is everybody need to watch, listen to for next week's pod, Dave?
1: Well, obviously the Game of Thrones series finale. No one needs to be reminded of that. Also, Barry season two finale, big day for HBO. Uh, quart- uh, John Wick three, as we mentioned before, John Wick Parabellum. A quartet of albums, all notable: Tyler the Creator, Igor, Khalil Jepson, The National, Injury Reserve, this rap trio I really like, uh, as well as two other shows: Catch 22 on Hulu with George Clooney, George Clooney's return and uh, Fleabag season 2 the second and final season of Fleabag with Phoebe Waller-Bridge so lots of stuff to talk about we probably won't get to all of that right away but watch that easy season 3 came out recently lots of stuff that we'll be talking about next week and coming up so stay tuned
0: and subscribe to our YouTube channel youtube.com/nostalgiapod also go to soundcloud.com/nostalgiapod and that way you can subscribe to us anywhere you want to We love you. We appreciate you. Enjoy Game of Thrones finale. Peace out.